welcome again to an episode of Inspired Men Talk. This episode, we're going to discuss male therapists and why we feel there's a place, an important place for the male therapist. When it comes to men's mental health, we know that the biggest killer of men under 45 is suicide. We also know that there's a huge problem area when it comes to men's mental health in male-dominated professions. We want to discuss if there's a need for more male therapists and what makes the right type of male therapist as a scope to bring more of those men who traditionally don't talk into the therapy room with changing who delivers therapy. So let's get started. On today's podcast, we have four different perspectives from Gary, that's me, the old fart business owner, Ben, the straight-talking gay cop. We have Peter, the roller-skating funny man. And lastly, but not least, we have Chris, the bushcrafting family man. So I'm going to go straight over and ask the question, Ben, why do you think, or do you think, there's a need for more male therapists? And actually, why did you become a therapist? An interesting question, isn't it? Um, I think if we look at therapy, traditionally, it was always dominated by men. That that was how it was many years ago. But I think if you look at today's world, we see a lot of female therapists out there. And I guess for me, the question comes in as to around, do men feel they can talk to a woman about some of the issues that they face? Do, Do they feel capable of talking about the fact that they may not be coping about work, the pressures? that they're in is that easier to talk to a male therapist about does it make it more relatable i know certainly if i think about my client that i've got at the moment they talk about how they were terrified about coming to therapy they've known for a number of years that they needed it but were too embarrassed to have that conversation so now they're here and they're enjoying it and life's good actually he wanted to speak to a man rather than a woman more because he thought it'd be easier to talk to me or male rather than acknowledging his weaknesses as he sees it to his partner or another female person I think it's important if we don't have male therapists we are going to alienate a particular group of men particularly when we come to topics where it gets a little bit more complex a little bit more personal maybe around sexual things or habits of men that they do and it might be uncomfortable to have that with a female Um, I certainly know that from my perspective, why I became a therapist, one of the areas that I'm quite passionate about is being able to link in with the LGBT community. Because again, that forms another barrier about, particularly with the gay world, of do people relate to and understand what they're going through or where they come from? And I guess, you know, I'd say that's the same for men. So... I'd like to say I'm a middle-aged white man, but I'm probably a little bit past that sell-by date. Um, and I can hear the tittering in the background from you, God. Um, would you say that LGBT plus community would find it harder to, to approach somebody who's just about touching 60 um, than somebody who's probably in their 30s or 40s? What do you think, Ben? Well, you know, if I put that to you, if I take, uh, spin it back to you as a question, was it easy to talk about gay stuff and the gay world when you were growing up? 
I know what particularly where I come from, which you know was a very hard-nosed council estate in South London, um nobody was gay. And the moment, in fact, you didn't have any weaknesses. It wasn't even, it was just being soft. You didn't show any weakness. So to show that you was different in any way was opening yourself for, a, you know, literally combat. So to talk about being gay or any, any, any feelings towards that was a definite no-no. So no, we wouldn't talk about it. And we probably don't know much about it if I'm, if I'm, totally honest my knowledge i mean my knowledge personally is quite good because i've worked within this industry for a long time but as a knowledge as a human being of 60 um who's always um understood where i came from my knowledge is small yeah and i I think that's a really key point and if i look at my knowledge and experience one i'm part of that community but also i've worked on it and had it in a more uh, of a formal role as a liaison officer as well and it's you know we've got that rainbow symbol and that rainbow comes with hundreds of layers of colors that are in there and that's pretty much like the gay community there's very very different layers to the community and some of it gets quite dark and there's ways that people behave and practice that you probably have never heard of Gary and that's no disrespect, but that's just your generational thing. And that's always developing as time goes forward. You know, we've seen how now that we, we started off with LGBT, but now we've got LGBTQI plus 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 variants and it is continually developing. And I, even I can't keep up with some of it, but I think it's important to have that connection and understanding of how that scene can be really quite toxic and, the way people behave, some of their practices from a sexual perspective is a big factor in that. Drugs can come into it sometimes. And so people what, don't want to be judged by what they do by someone who doesn't understand it. They want to be able to just have a free and honest conversation and be able to talk openly about it. And that kind of strays a little bit into cultures. You know, different cultures have different beliefs and ideologies that some males wouldn't be able to come and talk about their problems to another male therapist of the same culture, but equally would not be able to talk to a woman about it under any circumstance. Yeah. I, I mean, so what you're saying is it's not because I'm an older white bloke that is the problem and I'm not, is, but I don't understand. I wouldn't understand. So they wouldn't feel understood when rather than they would feel judged not through me being a bigot which i'm not but from me just completely missing the point because yeah, no, i don't understand yeah. exactly so they, that th- that would eliminate me from that world for many yeah because i think you'd find yourself probably having to ask a lot a lot of questions about what they were talking about to under- yeah. to gain the insight you know it's a little bit if i if i switch this around completely and take it out of the lgbt zone um i work with you know, obviously some clients who do horse riding mm. and their performance. I ride horses, have done all my life, and it brings a different relationship. Same with pilots who I work with. I'm used to the flying zone, my other half's the pilot, and I can relate to terminology and context. It just brings a different vibe. It's not necessarily always essential, but it makes people feel more comfortable and the conversation is easier to flow. It's easier to relate to. Yeah, that, that, that <clears throat> makes perfect sense. And I'm 
so pleased you brought that up because I didn't know until today that perspective, not of because I'm a older white straight man, that I wasn't, I might not be chosen as a therapist, but because I actually don't understand. Yeah. Know, and I think, you I, know, the younger generations now is a lot of it is around uh, that social media um, yeah. and the connection for it is what's going on there. And it, mm. I guess that it's another space that we have to try and break down the barriers to get into and show that we're there to, to support them. And oh, that oh. actually it's not a bad thing to have therapy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to throw this over to Christopher and Peter, which if one of you wants to go first, put your hand up um, so I can see. Yeah, Christopher, what's your thoughts on what Ben said? Because... Um yeah, I mean, I think you make an excellent point. I mean, we're talking about um, why it's important to have male therapists in the industry. And it is, it's all about that building rapport. Everybody knows, and anybody who's been to therapy or um, has practiced as a therapist, building rapport is one of the key parts of the process. And yes, like Ben said, it's not always essential to have things in common, but the more you can, the more you can relate, the more you're going to build that rapport with somebody. And even if that is just the fact that it's a man talking to a man, that might be the difference between sticking to therapy, not necessarily starting it, but certainly sticking to it and going through the process. It's having that immediate connection. I think that's important. And like I say, it's not necessarily going to encourage people to start therapy, but it's definitely going to encourage them to push on through. Yeah. Peter, what's your view? Yeah, I think um, just looking at that original question of, of is there a need for male therapists? Well, I think your your stat at the beginning with the suicide shows that definitely there's a need. If if the biggest killer of men under 45 is suicide, there's obviously an issue there and, and people aren't talking. And so there's a definite need for uh, for therapists in that respect. And, you know, why why did i become a therapist and it was kind of something that you 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 branched with uh with ben well i've spent a lot of my life like you i was i was raised in the in the sort of 70s and 80s i was born in the 70s raised in that in the sort of 80s and had a very different upbringing to kind of today and there was that you don't talk like we touched on in the last episode and and i think that the need is there because we need to have these conversations. We need to bring that stat down, right, of people committing suicide because they're clearly not talking. Mm. Um, and and therefore, if they're not talking at the moment and therapy is a, a female-dominated industry at the moment, which I think it, it is quite a lot, then there needs to be the, a more accessible group of people that they can talk to. So there needs to be more men so that these men can talk to them. I think as well, it it's not so much about um, people having someone to talk to. So men don't talk. It's it's even having somebody who shares a common goal. So if a man was to go to a male therapist, they know that on some level they're going to have a common goal. So even if it's not so much talking about what the problem is or anything like that, it's you know that if you're talking to a male therapist, in some way they're going to relate what you want to achieve. Whereas some men may feel that a woman might not see that. It depends, absolutely depends on the person. But I would say that most men would relate to a common goal somewhere when it comes to their mental health. I think that's a good point as well, because, you know, when I'm the therapy people I treat in my room is a huge burly builder. Goes to the gym, lifts weights, is 
as ma- masculine as you could be. And the one thing that changed him from out of the 10 people he rang for therapy to speak to me was is that when I spoke to him, I was like, all right, mate, yeah, no worries, we can sort that out. It was the language I used and the way I spoke to him and the rapport that I built, and it was more of that same style and approach that he was used to and that common ground, like you're saying. I, I think that's essential. So, you know, I lecture in and train mental health practitioners and in something like 60 courses I've run over the years, 75, maybe even 80% of the newly qualified therapists are all amazing, all of them, um, but the 80% plus are female. And I have a real passion. So you may get, I'm a South London boy originally, I'm up, up in East Anglia now, but I'm a South London boy. I've left school with no massive qualifications. I've worked hard. I've been, but I'm ultimately, I'm a bloke. I like sport. I like cars. I am a bloke. And in my head, up until I got involved in this, male therapists were Frasier or somebody like him. It was a pompous, look down the nose at you therapist, all very lovely ladies. So, and they're very effective. But if I didn't want to go to talk to a lady because I'm a bloke and I like bloke things and I need somebody who gets that blokiness. I don't want to go to a woman because they won't get the blokiness. I've got Frasier. So for me, I love training blokes. Not men, blokes. Because those male-dominated professions, which have some of the highest rates of mental health and, unfortunately, suicide, are construction. Those builders, as you talked about, Ben, military guys who are so driven to be, you know, men, warriors, farmers who live in isolation, but they're quite, you know, they are set in their ways, you might say. They're not going to go to someone in a suit and a dicky bow tie. So I personally feel there is a need for therapists full stop. However, there's a massive scope in there for blokes. And I'm using the term bloke to try and differentiate it from male because Fraser's a male. Yeah. To go, actually, this is an everyday guy who's got all the answers to. He's just like you, just like me, but he can help. You you can you can talk about anything and it won't shock him. He's he's not like a, you know like an MP who's never been on the coalface. So I love doing that. And I also love training young people. Most people who come for training and they're quite young, they go, oh, I'm not sure because people won't take me seriously because I'm only 24 or 26 or 28. And I love training people in their 20s because the biggest growth of mental health challenges is quite often within the adolescent years. And they see an old fat like me and they go, I'll build rapport. He doesn't he doesn't even know what the internet is. Doesn't know how to use headphones. They all saw me struggling <laughs> with my headphones earlier. Um so um, but that's it. So having young people who can associate having 
people from all cultures, as Ben said, all types. That 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 rapport is really important. And I I have a real thing about having more blokes train to become professionals. I think I think that's really positive in in that I remember when I was going through a tough time, my my network was my mates sitting in a pub. And that was kind of the only time when I felt comfortable talking because I had the my beer, my beer jacket or my beer goggles on. And it was it gave me that bravado to be able to speak freely when I was feeling, well, for want of a better word, weak. Um, and I think having and being that person for someone else without the alcohol now and sitting in the therapy room is a really lovely thing because you're almost giving them their friend network without them having to have the beer goggles on. Oh, that's why I love it. Do you think that then opens the door when, because most of us have got sports teams, the rugby team, the football team, the mates down the pub, and, you know, it is quite collegial in many, many ways, but also there's a lot of banter in, because... It's talked about, but never discussed. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm having real trouble with my relationship or my work or whatever. And everybody goes, rah, 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 bit of banter, whatever. And then you move on. So it's never fixed. Yeah. It's never discussed openly. We never progress through it because everybody's sitting there with a level of vulnerability and it's like oh, I've done enough. If I'm, you know, I need I need to pour the pour the drawbridge up because I've just shown a bit of vulnerability, uh, and that's enough. And the bit of banter starts. And if there's people who are over bantery, you don't discuss it. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant analogy actually with the drawbridge because you do you let down a little bit and you see what the room says and you see what you get the feel for what's kind of going on. And then if it does get too far, you kind of pull your drawbridge up again and kind of become very insular. And you don't, when you get the therapy side, you don't have that. You kind of have the, let's get to your resolutions and let's get to to fixing your your situation for you. Um, which, yeah, which I think, again, brings me back to that. It, having male therapists or having blokes in therapy, it's not necessarily going to get people in, the, like it's not going to get them started, but it's going to help them stay through it because you are going to let that down a little bit and then you're going to go, actually, I feel safe here and you're going to let it down a bit more. And having that rapport, immediate rapport is really important. So it is going to certainly, I think it's definitely important that people have the option of being able to see a male therapist or a a, a common, somebody with a common round to them. So the more different varied people we have in therapy as therapists is going to open that drawbridge to more people getting that mental health support they need absolutely and 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 you're right it's not just about more male therapists or more blokes it's about more people who fit the need of the individual right across the board and i think traditionally from my eyes anyway and what people think and it's not necessarily the truth but it's that that propaganda is you get certain types of people who are therapists and if they don't fit then you don't go to therapy and that's not necessarily true because i'm certainly not the same as most therapists and all four of us are very different um but i think there's a traditional view 
male and female. Um, and I think that it's very, very narrow-banded of what they think is available to what really is available, both male, female, different cultures. There's, there's, there's stuff for everybody. There's a lot of talk around mental health right now. There's a lot of celebrities talking. There's a lot of podcasts by other celebrities talking about their issues and things like that. But nothing's changing. We still have the same or very similar stats. So what do we as male therapists or just decent men need to be projecting out there so people know that they can start the therapy because yes when they come in you're absolutely right chris when they come in they probably stay because there's commonality but how do they know how can they step through that portal from needing support but having total fear around their insecurities or their burden or whatever they feel to just knowing that there's a there's a seat they can come and sit and talk to people without being judged without and, and actually be supported really well by people who've got a level of commonality. What do we need to say? What what does anybody think? Ben, you've been quiet for a little while. What do you think? I think this is a good starting point on a podcast. <clears throat> I know there's lots out there, but I think it's about having that conversation. I think as we progress forward with the podcast, bringing people in to come onto the show to talk about their experiences from maybe different industries uh, and, and things that they've experienced, putting it out there, giving people that story about their life and their experience. And I know that's tricky sometimes because obviously there's that anonymity that people like where they don't want to be able to be identified. But, you know, I think if we can bring, bring it to life, uh, the therapy room and make it accessible for people, then being able to understand and listen to other people's experiences is, is always a massive win for people. And it opens doors because it makes people understand that they're not alone. Uh, it's not just them with their problem. It's not, there's nothing wrong with them. It, it's just that that's life. Sometimes things and stresses, the way we are, the way we made up can get on top. So I think we just need to promote that on a bigger scale. And undoubtedly mental health is being talked about far, far more than it ever was. Uh, and we are trying to promote that male's mental health side of it. But I think we've, we've also got a bit more of a stigma around men don't talk. Uh, and, and that's another barrier to break down. And we've got to say, yeah, actually, we do talk and we can talk. And it's all right if we do that. It's not It's not a bad thing. It's not a weakness. It enables us to move forward. Chris. Yeah, and I, th I think that goes back to our... Yeah, I think that goes back to our previous episode, Ben, about... Um, breaking down that barrier and i think one of the main things yes it's a conversation um it's all about having that conversation but like gary said that conversation is happening a lot already but one conversation the conversation that i hear a lot is there's a massive mental health issue in men the suicide rate of men is at an all-time high men don't talk rather than the conversation should be in my opinion there's a solution to men's mental health not there's a problem in men's, men's mental health but there's a solution and telling them and let make sure people know what that solution is or where to find their solution. I think that we need to adapt that conversation. And I think that's going to make the difference. And I think as male therapists, as we're the guys that can do that. Absolutely. So yes. Peter, what do you think? No, I think, I think that's a great point there from Chris. And I think, you know, uh, also from Ben, one of the things that, that I see clients and they often think as they walk through the door the very first time that, they're broken 
And I think, you know, it's important to let people know that if you're going through an issue, that you're not broken. It's just part and parcel of how your body and your brain works to protect you. So it's really important that therapy is there to help you, but you're you're not a broken person because you're struggling. Your your body is shutting into like its um its survival mode, its fight or flight mode. And that's the first thing that I say to people. And and the second the second thing that kind of comes up a lot for me is people still have these misconceptions about what therapy is. I've had people say to me, Oh, I don't want to have a therapy because I don't know what I'll say. I don't know what I'll kind of um come out with and i think people need to understand that you're just talking you know you're you're in control of what you say you're talking you're able to kind of lead conversations but having those conversations is the most important thing not having the conversations is the issue absolutely do you do you think that particularly men find it difficult to have those conversations just because they're men i I know from my perspective, I, I always found it difficult to open up. And I think I mentioned that previously. And I think part of that was part of that was my upbringing. Part of that was my surroundings um, that I, I struggled to have those conversations. My conversations were in the pub with friends. My conversations were guarded because I had a, a, a beer in my hand. So I could always play it off as oh, I was a bit drunk. I didn't know what I was saying type thing. Um and, and that's certainly from my experience and, and and from experience of speaking to some of my clients, there, there will be. It, it feels like once they understand you've got this complete confidence in this room and this this it doesn't go outside the four walls, then people are able to open up and be really kind of emotive and say what's going on with them. But it's getting them to understand that those four walls are there. That's the protected yeah. space. It's the safe space. That's really key. A second question I've got, and I'm going to actually ask it of one of the other guys that can answer this. Is it that men see therapy as always having to talk about the problem and they don't want to talk about the problem? They want to talk, but all they're going to ask be asked is, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about the past tell me about and it is is that the thing that men don't want to burden other people or just to talk about a problem they're just like i just need to get on with it and move forward i mean what do you think either ben or christopher i think you said a good word there um that a lot of men would relate with and that's burden i think a lot of men struggle with the idea of burdening somebody else even if it's a therapist even if that's what perceived their job to be it's uh, my problems are my problems they're not everybody else's problems i think that is a big thing so maybe the conversation we need to be having is there's different options out there and what options there are and it's not necessarily about offloading your issues or talking about the problems or your childhood or talking about how your relationship was with your dad and what have you we we need to put out there that there are other options about looking forward or they can there's so many different options of therapy out there you can cater it to every every person almost i think from our our type of therapy as well you know obviously so the solution focused model we use the miracle question and time and time again you see i think for the first time they pause and have the headspace to think about it what is their next step 
I think we get used to, and they're used to, you know, particularly used to dismissing it, covering it up, putting day-to-day life on top and not acknowledging what they need to address and move forward with. And then you give them that time and that quiet space and you see the cogs turning and the, the processing's taking place. And that moment that actually they start to see there is a way out or a way to deal and address the situation that they've got going on, but they don't have to delve into it and explain it all in a really in-depth way. They can uh, just come to a, the next step and that path to move forward. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, as you said, in solution-focused therapy, which we do, that's that's the case. But that's for the people who've taken that bold, bold step of coming for therapy. 99% of men who need that don't come because they think we're going to ask them what's wrong. Mm. Tell me all about it. They're going to... We, we're going to want them to lay their vulnerability out like a carpet. Is that uh, fair? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's a big part of it. Is that most people who aren't coming to see anyone is because they're terrified of being vulnerable. And men aren't allowed to be vulnerable in their heads, particularly I, when rem- they're survival. Sorry, yeah, Peter. I, that's all right. I, I remember a, a story of a friend of mine who got divorced. And he said when he was going through his divorce, the worst thing that his ex-wife said to him was that he was weak. That was the worst thing. She called him all the names under the sun, did all kinds of things, but the very worst thing was that she perceived him as weak. And I think a lot of a lot of men get this feeling that if they have to go to therapy, they will either perceive themselves as weak or be perceived by others as weak. And yet we go to the gym to make our bodies stronger we go to the dentist to make our teeth and our rural health stronger, better. And yet we struggle with going to see a therapist to, to make the big, the engine at the top stronger. You made me think of a, a, a video I watched on social media the other day and it was a guy talking and, you know, you see these videos with like audio clips coming through or their other halves in the room. And he was there and she, she said, yeah, but, you know, he's like a real man. And he's like... I'm a real man. And she goes, yeah, yeah, no, I know, babes, but like, he's a proper man, you know? And it's like, what do you mean, proper man? I am a man. What you're saying is wrong with me. Why am I not, in your eyes, viewed as a proper man? And I think that's a big part of that, about that weakness. You know, if you if you talk about what's going on, are you a real man? Am I Spartacus? <laughs> yeah. But it's an interesting thing. So how, you know... The question was, is there a need for more male therapists and why? So I think the the answer to that is quite simply yes, but there's a need for many, many different types of therapists. There's a need for people to feel like they can go to somebody they can relate to, whether that's men, women, and every variation of those people there are. Which I think we all agree on. Yeah, definitely. It's a resounding yes. You know, it's, yeah. But but is there a gap in the market? Well, there must is there be. A, is there a gap in the need? There must be because that higher percentage of men committing suicide under the age of forty-five, there's obviously a gap somewhere. Somewhere in the system, there's a gap. Is it, a, is it a gap in they're not the right people to talk to available. So there's not enough male therapists. There's not enough blokes. There's not enough people within the the culture. They fit. 
or well, is a gap in the education? Is there Massively a gap in the Yeah. So yeah. maybe it's not about who's performing the therapy. It's about why you have therapy. Yeah. That I mean, I, I know even in my darkest times, even when I was going through some of my, my worst moments, therapy never ever entered my head as an option. I don't know what did enter my head. I don't remember what kind of things. I think it was just like, I will muddle through. I will get through this. But talking to someone never, ever entered my head. So it, there is that education of letting people know that therapy is an acceptable option and, in fact, a really good acceptable option. So, so somebody of my age sees there are people who have therapies because America, they were all, everybody in America when I was a, in my 20s and 30s, everybody in America had a therapist. They had a therapist. It was lifetime. And it was all fruitcakes. So if you had needed a therapy, you needed to be a fruitcake. So if you're off to see, you, you've got to be a nutcase. And it was literally those words, those that banter, that that bias, that stigma was apparent. So people of my age see therapy as not just that you're broken and you're vulnerable, but you've got to be a nutcase to need that. It's you're going to get locked in an asylum level, which is far, far, far from the truth. Ben. I think um, I think that ties in with that education piece, doesn't it? You know, if I turned up on a building site induction day and I turned up dressed like Fraser and spoke all posh, uh, people wouldn't uh, listen to you. If I turned up in my work clothes, covered in paint, in my building gear and said let's talk about it mate you know don't be worried about having that chat it, we don't need to delve into the past into your problems and all the dark side of it we can get you back on track quite simply it's a really straightforward process you would change people's perception straight away and i think you know when you look at you were talking about you enjoy training blokes that's where we kind of need to pick up in the market we need to we need to look at those industries and bring people on board and get them trained so that it becomes a normal conversation in that workplace on their level and on uh, in that same level of rapport that they all have with each other as blokes doing the work, going down the pub for a pint. But, but interestingly, if I go and do corporate training, they expect me to turn up in a suit and a tie. They expect right. that the organisation would not be happy to pay for me to turn up in jeans and a T-shirt. The organisation, but not the troops. No, but they're the ones who dictate what their troops get. I mean, Christopher, you work with um, a lot of adolescents in a number of different roles in the community and within your other roles. What do they expect from you? Because it's different um, to what I do. It, it is very different. So you can have that more casual approach to that age group. And I, from my point of view, it does start with that education at that young age. So if I can influence people at that age that actually it's okay to talk from whatever gender you are whatever problems you have then hopefully when they're coming against some of the big problems that you face as a older person whether it be relationships work and whatever it may be they may look back and go actually i remember when where it was able to talk to somebody and how much it helped hopefully we can stem it there we can get it from that age we can build that education and that trust from a younger age so that we don't have this issue in 20 years time of this mass of people not wanting to something just out. pops into my head well based on what you just said you said it's okay to talk why is it not normal to talk 
why are we going oh it's okay like there's like you like sometimes you're wrong oh it's okay now yeah why are we not just saying well it's normal to talk you know we're almost going oh, okay it's okay to talk now rather than just going we talk and that and that's the difference isn't it and that's the culture that we need to steer towards um we it needs to become a normal like you said years ago in america it was it was kind of normal to have a therapist of some sort i mean arguably say what you like whether or not that was a good thing or a bad thing or the way it was approached if you've got a therapist for a lifetime but it was it was normal it was okay it wasn't seen as a big deal you'd almost compare notes on it yeah. and it becomes normal and that's the culture that we need to breed so that we're that we're not having this conversation in 20 30 years time we're not I, still having this conversation I, I think a lot of the media about the american style of of therapy what we was perceived in the uk certainly in my age group was you relied on your therapist every time there was an issue you couldn't cope unless you had a therapist yeah. rather than the therapist was there if you was in a bit of a pickle and with life you went and they helped you and you got on with your life as the best person of you once you'd had a session or two or some a level of sessions in america it was perceived that every time there was a challenge in your life your therapist was the only other and, and again it might not be true but that was perception media showed us yeah tv shows showed us um and it's far from the truth but well, that's the same with everything do you think then, you know, I mean, this is just flying around in my brain, but if I said, oh, you know, let's get government to make it so that any any industry now has to make it routine that you all get to see a therapist once every three months or something, and it's it's the law. It's got to be that everybody goes and sees a therapist and it becomes that normal topic. Do you think that's the right way or do you think we should leave it as a, an additional sort of option that people choose? Well, I think if you go down this um, compul uh, compulsory route it's okay which thought sort of therapy do you choose do we go for Frasier do we go for solution focused like we are do we go for something down the middle do we go for CBT or do we go for holistic therapies I mean where where do you who decides that because we all know that everybody responds differently to different therapies from what works for one might work for another so yeah that's the only issue with that but we need to I think and let people know what is available I, I think the middle ground there is is two-pronged attack. First of all, education, education, education. You know, it should be starting almost in 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 primary school. Definitely almost. Well they start sex school. education. They start sex education at um, primary school level at year one level. Yeah. So why not mental health? Absolutely. Absolutely. So education, education, education. But then the facility of therapy should be made open. Organisations should be put in availability of therapy that anybody can put their hand up and it always be available. You know, um, it, it should be not recorded as a deficit. People are you know, people in corporate are terrified that if they source some sort of therapy through the organization, that then will deem them as not potentially available or possible, you know, that uh, would affect their career. Um, it just needs to be well educated and 
very available to the point where it's just what we do. If we want to, if we feel we need to, that's my feelings. I know Jimmy Carr in one of his latest books, he said when he was going through therapy and he went through a various different number of therapies, he said something that every therapist should have to do is tell you that there are other therapies available um, to, to just push that education theme. And I and I don't know if that's the right answer, but, you know, I, education is the key, clearly. Uh, well, I don't, I'm not sure if they need to tell you. It should be so obvious you know, that's about, like you said, it's part of the education. He's relying on somebody else within a profession to tell them you've got options rather than just seeing the options. If I want to go to the chemist, I can see there's so many different chemists available. It's not so easy to see there's so many different therapists available. You know, with the NHS, it's just like you have to have this and they don't talk about what's available. But if the you know, it, it's about making it clear and obvious, and it keeps coming back to education, doesn't it? But we need to go back to the original question: Do we think, or why do we think it's important for there to be more mouth therapists? What makes a good mouth therapist, and will it help open the doors for those men who traditionally don't talk? to step into a therapy room. So I'm going to go round you all, get your opinions, and then we're going to bring this episode to a close. Who's going to go first? I'd like to hear what you think. Cheers. <laughs> Everybody's laughing at me now. Um, okay, so yes, I think there's a definite need for more male therapists. I don't think there's any, you know, there's a need for better therapists. We've got amazing therapy out there um and it's really helpful for millions of people but i think statistically we can see there's a still even though there's lots of conversations around men's mental health there's still a major issue and that's from you know teens all the way through to old people men's mental health is a problem so we need more men in there but i think we need more what I categorise as blokes, people from all educational backgrounds, all cultures and everything. So um, the man who... But I think now I've, we've spoken about this on this podcast, I think the biggest thing is how we message. How It doesn't make, make any sense of just having them available. How we show people we've got them available so those men can step forward. So that's what I think to do, to to open a door, to get more men into the therapy when we need more options, therefore more men, because um, I think it's probably a 70-30 split looking at what's available for male and female therapists. Um, and to open that door, we need to project ourselves out as we are. So we need to be more available to be seen. That's my views. Peter. Um. Yeah, I, I, it, when you said uh, how we project ourselves, that, that really resonated with me because when I first started my journey, um, my advertising was very much BBC. And I was like, hello, my name's Peter. And mm. of course, that's, that's not me, right? It's not who I am. And and suddenly realising that 
actually I need to be able to tell people this is the Peter that you get when you see in the therapy room. This is the person that you get. It, it's so much more important because that's it's who you resonate with right so yes i agree we need more um we need more male therapists that's an obvious one um from my side of or my perspective um and we need more people that are gonna resonate with the people that need therapy um, and so you know my my advice to everyone is be yourself don't be your bbc voice hmm. um and and try and find that person that that resonates with you which i think is just really essential for that Cool. Ben, what do you think? You've left me questioning something, actually. You, you've left me thinking about the way we promote ourselves as therapists. And if I, I look at my headshot and my promotional stuff for my own personal brand, am I presenting Fraser? Wearing a shirt? Wearing a, a jacket on top of that? Maybe I should be sat there in just a polo shirt, T-shirt, whatever, having an honest conversation do we actually conform to the stereotypical presentation of what a therapist should be like from the olden days, which is the phrase of my model. And it is that part of the problem because you're right, Peter, you know, your BBC voice isn't you, but people like to see the genuine side of you. Are we actually also making it unaccessible for people by the way that we present ourselves as therapists? Is that what we've got to change? Was that your own vulnerability getting in the way? I don't know if it is my vulnerability. I'm just thinking, you know, if I look at that and I relate, think of the client who's the burly builder and the fact that we got there is because he said on the phone, I answered him with mate and all the other therapists he'd spoken to were all posh and sounded too pompous for him. Maybe we create that perception. Absolutely. Uh, And maybe we, we need to change the way that or some sort of model that we have where we can reach out to those other areas, those other occupations and present ourselves in a different style. Still being authentic and genuine to who we are, because that's, that's fundamentally the key point. But so question for you there is what's the break even point. So where do we go from expert specialist therapist to bloke off the street who you know, so we do. Do we need to show a little bit of restraint and that we are professionals, or do we meet people and sit in bus stops? Well, there's <laughs> there's always going to be two arguments to that, because you know, yes, we want to progress the reputation, and and from our perspective, we want solution focused hypnotherapy to become a, a recognised practice with uh, you know qualified, reputable people who are leading the way. But at the same time, by doing that, we do fit that mold of Fraser. So therefore, then there comes that balance. Where do we draw the balance on the opposite side of uh, of engaging with construction workers or, or those industries that have the higher suicide rate? So what's the and, answer? Well, in my brain, all I've got a vision of me going into, uh, you know, like a building site and delivering it in my workloads. And I know that I'd be able to deliver that in a style and with the knowledge that I have as a therapist to make it relatable and bring people on board. So maybe that's, you know, I can't give you an answer. These two arguments to both sides. Without trying to therapize you, um, but you've mentioned twice in this podcast about your work clothes rather than when you're a therapist. 
which mine is the same thing. But so if I turned up like this, because so I, I, I don't fit the mold, just sat here in a t-shirt and being a therapist like that, I would be probably wearing a shirt when I see most of my clients to give that professional image. So what's your work clothes and what's because I I work as a therapist, so what I wear is my work clothes. You're you're saying they're two separate things, which is interesting. And I'm I'm almost like, should I be saying this? Because it's a podcast for everybody else. But I'm straight away going, okay, you dress up to be a therapist. Dress up to in the sense to present the professional image that everybody looks to recognise, that image that you are reputable and know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and that's the part of it, you know, if... Yeah. If you, if I looked at every single one of the one of you on this podcast, what's your photo headshot, Gary? Are you in a shirt suit? I'm in a, a sh- shirt I'm in a and shirt. a jacket. You're not <laughs> yeah. sat in your vintage t-shirt with 1963 on it because you're an old fart, are you? No. You know. <laughs> so right back at you with that one. No, absolutely. You're but, all there in your headshot, dressed all smart and swanky like Fraser. But I've know? also got jeans on, and I actually see all my clients wearing jeans. Yeah, I wear jeans. I just wear a shirt at the top half. Yeah. You know, so it's about like middle ground. You know, I don't have a ponytail. It's not like, you know, business at the front, party at the back. But, (laughs) you know, I'll leave that to Peter. Gone now. It's gone. (laughs) So, you know, we've got to, I guess, try and get that central gap because we want people to treat us as experts and feel like we can help them, but not ostracize ourselves by being two things. Christopher, you've been quiet for a long time. We've been over talking you. That's right. So just try and sort of bring it back into the topic of do we need more male therapists? I think the answer is obviously yes. And I think the reason behind it is there's safety in numbers. It goes back to that whole thing, isn't there? Oh. There's safety in numbers. So the more male therapists there are, the safer they're going to feel coming to see us. Because every time you go and speak to somebody, even if it's just a throwaway comment, you say, oh, I've been having this issue. It's coming more and more of a thing now that people will say, oh, well, I saw, I know somebody who saw a therapist. It really helped them with that. It will, that conversation does happen now. But because there's such a low number of male therapists, it's never, oh, I saw Gary or I saw Peter, because mm. that will happen, but it happens far less than it will for all these females that are out there doing it. So the more we're going to get heard about, the more people that can say, oh, I've seen a male therapist, the more people are going to know that we're here. And I think that's going to make a big difference. So safety in numbers, yeah, get as many of us, many blokes and as many men and as many chaps and as many whatever you want to call them doing this therapy stuff so they can tell their friends that they saw a guy mm. you know what i mean yeah yeah that makes <laughs> makes a lot of sense and, and it, you know i think you put it really well earlier that it's not about just men or just women or just this it's having that whole melting pot of everybody to give yeah. options and opportunities but we, we we can identify that there's a gap in the male market. You can we can see that by looking at the figures. So the mm. more times that somebody goes, when somebody does have that moment where they say, "Oh, I'm actually struggling with this," they can say, "Well, I saw this guy in therapy, and he really helped me." 
rather than oh my sister saw this lady down the road who does therapy and they're going well i ain't gonna do that am i so i'm gonna ask the last question which has just popped into my head why aren't there more male therapists you've got one answer each and then we're going to conclude our episode ben why aren't there more male therapists that's a really difficult question why aren't there more therapists? The, the thing that comes to the forefront of my mind is that it's viewed as a profession that is that phrase of style and is not accessible for certain groups of people. It's, a, it's one of those professions like being a doctor or being a something. It fits a particular bracket um, that perhaps is viewed as not always being as accessible as other trades, other businesses that are out there, other roles. And perhaps we need to change, you know, or encourage that the promotion of that actually it's accessible to anyone who wants to do it. Okay. Peter. So I think from my perspective, it was never ever on never ever on my radar as doing this. I never thought Aya was gonna be a, a capable. I know I liked helping people and I never thought that I, I had the ability to do this. And I never I never really realised, A, how easy it was to get into it and how much good it can do. And so I always looked for traditional jobs. My father was a carpenter. I looked into that kind of, that kind of thing. I looked to follow the trade of my father. And as Ben said, you know, you look at, you look at doctors and, and pilots and things like that. They're, they're kind of trades that you think, oh, they're way beyond me. Um, and I and I just yeah I, I don't know I don't know why there's no more why there isn't more because it's a brilliant thing to do and it's a brilliant thing to be able to help someone so I don't know why. Chris, I think it goes back to the same question as we've been asking this whole time. Why why aren't men getting the help they need? It's because you don't know it's there, and I think it, it's it's almost irony um, at its finest because the more men find therapy for their own mental health the more you're going to get mental male therapists so it's a one feeds the other so it's almost you can't have work without work experience but you can't get a job without work experience you know um you know what I'm trying yeah to say. yeah it's chicken and egg yeah yeah absolutely it's what comes first isn't it the male therapists or the people the males getting the therapy one's yeah, yeah. going to feed the other and i don't know the answer to that of why there's not men in therapy I just know that therapy and men aren't doing what they need to be doing at the moment. They yeah. it needs to change as a whole, and that's men in therapy, men seeing therapists, and everything around it. Once something yeah. starts that catalyst burning, I think it will roll. It, yeah, I totally agree with that. That's a really good point, and I hadn't considered that. The more men who have therapy, the more therapists that will born. I, but as a somebody who runs hypnotherapy training and therefore they come in, it's interesting, nearly all the men who I train, and it is probably, like I said, an 80-20 split, so only 20% of the trainees at best are men. Generally, they're all over 30 and mostly they're all over 40. I get a lot of younger ladies in the early 20s to late 20s. Majority of people are still in their mid-40s to 60, but I don't get any young men. 
which is strange to me because I know a lot of young men that do psychology courses and psychology yes. degrees. Mm. And they, they're very open with their talking about mental health, mm. but very few young men train as therapists where we have proportionately the right amount of young ladies and middle-aged ladies and older ladies train. Majority of the men who train are in their late 30s to 60. I can only think of one young man I've trained, and it was only because he's, you know, he's done the psychology course in order to take it further. Mostly it's, we don't get young men, which surprises me based on what Christopher said for the last two podcasts about, you know, how open um, the conversation is at younger age groups, but they don't come into therapy. So, final words, last sentence. Anybody wants to put a final word in before we finish this lovely episode of Inspired Men Talk? If you're a bloke and you're listening and you've got some struggles, then give it a go. Yeah. Thank you for a really inspiring and eye-opening, in my opinion, for certainly was for me, of Inspired Men Talk. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we as always would love for you to join the conversation give us some feedback tell us what you thought tell us if you've got a different opinion tell us where we can improve our show even anything you want to talk about why not we're going to blast this across all of our social media and, and on the different podcast apps so we look forward to seeing you again or hearing you again or you hearing us again i should say <laughs> on our next podcast inspired men talk so goodbye from me the old fart goodbye from me uh, the gay straight talking policeman goodbye <laughs> from me the roller skating funny man and goodbye from me the other one <laughs>